The Guardian. Video games have been played for more than 40 years, and for almost as long, there have been concerns about the effects they're having on their players. Do they make you violent? Do they make children Satanists? Are they encouraging addictive tendencies in the nation's youth? When I grew up, everyone was afraid of Dungeons and Dragons, making kids satanic and suicidal. And then when I started playing games like Perfect Dark or GoldenEye and Doom, people were all worried about aggression. And now people are worried about addiction. Now, new research has been published to suggest that not only may video games on balance have a positive effect on the mental health of their players, but more importantly, that the evidence for those previous fears may not be worth the paper it's printed on. It's always worries that guide research. I want people to be curious about, about play. I'm Alex Hearn, and this is Science Weekly. So I'm joined by Andy Shabilsky, an experimental psychologist and director of research at the Oxford Internet Institute. Um, thank you. Thank you for joining me, Andy. It's, it's an auspicious day to talk about video games because I'm waiting for my PlayStation 5 to arrive right now. Uh, so unprofessionally, I kind of hope we will be interrupted, but I probably shouldn't be. <laughs> um, so this study, it, you looked at the mental health impact of, of computer games. Before we talk about the findings, I, I'd love to ask why it was necessary. What what was the the state of research before we uh, but before you arrived here? What what did people think about video gaming's effect on mental health? Yeah, so it's a little crazy because I think that a lot of the research on on video games and mental health it kind of exists in this um, kind of Goldilocks space. It's kind of interesting enough to to generate headlines and clicks because everyone knows someone who plays games and mental health is obviously something on a self-evident basis that's really important. Um, but it's not the kind of thing that people actually study particularly seriously. Like there are a lot of methodological innovations in mental health research and in epidemiology and in all these other fields. And that never really seems to feed through to games research. And so imagine you were studying drug use. Uh, you have the equivalent of people showing up to a heroin needle exchange and just handing out surveys, you know, uh, about about how heroin might impact you, uh, and, and that's what happens now. Basically, researchers go on Reddit and uh, they go to you know some gaming forum and they they ask people to tell them how much they play and how they feel, and then they just write up paper after paper uh, uh, on that with some fancy statistics that are relatively uh, uh, non-transparent, and uh, fr- from that, you know, global health policy gets made. So it's just kind of crazy stuff. <laughs> In your opinion, is that self-reported aspect of previous research, is that the biggest flaw that you were seeking to overcome? And that's one of them. Uh, so, so the fact that it's all, it's all self-report and it's all selective samples, um, that's a massive hurdle. That, that's the reason why it really none of it should be taken seriously. But, but the other one is that, you know, no one shares their data. No one shares their code. You know, the Internet makes it tremendously easy to, along with uploading your, you know, Microsoft Word file of all your great findings uh, to a journal, uh, you should be able to upload, you, you can just as easily upload your data and, and, and prove that you found the things you're claiming. And people don't do that. And so that's part of why we tried to do the, the study we did. You know, it's, it's basically the study that should have been run 30 years ago. Um, you know, we, we bothered to collect objective data uh, on people's video gameplay. 
So some of our listeners will, like me, be waiting for their new games consoles to arrive. Others will not have touched a video game in in 30 years or perhaps even in their life. For your study, you looked at two specific games, Animal Crossing and Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborville. For those listeners who have a very sparse concept of what modern video gaming can entail, what, what are those games? How should they visualize what players are doing while playing them? Both of them are fairly social video games. So most of the play happens uh, between people. They're Mm -hmm. connected to either people they know in real life or or people who they've met in the game or in games. Um, They're both pretty cartoony. The Plants vs. Zombies game is a bit like the Hunger Games. You know, players fight to be the last one standing. And and Animal Crossing is a bit like a, it's kind of like a simulation life game, like the popular video game, The Sims. Uh, Both of them are, are recently released games um, and, and that's why we actually picked them, because you were able to, to kind of vacuum data out of them. And that data access, I mean, both of these games are also online. How, how recent is that in the gaming industry and how, how important is that to enabling this sort of research? Yeah, so it's critical for enabling the research that, that the games are online, because believe it or not, unlike other industries that have like an online or digital component, the, the, the kinds of data that gaming companies collect is actually... Um, not very well suited for research, uh, whether it be psychological research or consumer research necessarily. And so the more modern games are the only ones you can actually see anything inside of. When you describe, you know, accessing player data of this sort of thing, for, for some of our listeners that might raise the hairs on the back of their neck. You know, there's been a lot of discussions about the privacy implications of, of this sort of data getting loose into the field. How easy was it to convince, I guess, both the publishers who you were working with and your subjects, the people who took part, that this was something that everyone involved could be trusted to do responsibly? So this is why it took us 11 months to write the paper. <laughs> the really key thing here, Alex, was figuring out what were the legal dimensions of accessing participants, what's called telemetry, their play data. And then how exactly do we onboard uh, subjects that they can make an ethically informed decision Mm -hmm. on participating? And I think the really key thing here is that we didn't assume consent. How many many people took part? How successful were you in recruiting subjects? Oh my God, we were so unsuccessful in recruiting subjects. (laughs) There's a key kind of statistic, like whether you're running a, a normal social science study or you're running a political polling of response rate. Yeah. So if you send an email to 100 people, how many of them actually you know, tell you who they're going to vote for? In this case, we were expecting a social science response rate of, I don't know, 20%, 15%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we found the number was somewhere between one quarter of 1% and uh, uh, 1.75%, so almost 2%. And, you know, 2% you can live with. uh, uh, A quarter of 1% stops your heart as a psychologist. (laughs) And so, you know, moving forward, this is not a great way to recruit participants. And so once they were included, what, what was the study? Can you take us through it from start to finish? Yeah, so it's a tremendously simple study. Uh, I'll use Nintendo as an example because, because that's the easier one. Those participants who have played Animal Crossing recently and had opted in, they got an email inviting them to participate in a University of Oxford study. Um, They were uh, uh, assigned a unique identifier that had nothing to do with their real life identity. And then they were forwarded on uh, to a survey um, that we uh, at the University of Oxford wrote, and we didn't ask any personally identifiable questions or anything like that. Um, we asked them about five minutes worth of questions about how they've been doing in the past week, 
uh, what their experiences were of playing Animal Crossing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we, we combined that data ourselves. Um, and so, you know, Nintendo had no idea uh, and, and EA had no idea what the results of the study were uh, until we were done with the project. Was that independence difficult to negotiate? You know, a lot of people who read my report on your study got in touch to point out that you had listed them as providing in-kind benefits and the work they did to help along and implying that you were in their pocket. Do you, you know, do you defend your independence? Yeah, I mean, that, well, that's why we designed it, the, the study the way we did. So our, our first goal was to ensure um, that participants could give meaningful consent and that their, their data would be ethically handled. Um, and then our second concern was whether or not there was a way of preventing the well-meaning games companies or the well-meaning people working at the games companies from being able to know the results ahead of time Mm -hmm. or to be able to control the results. And so the way that we did that was separating out who knows what when. (laughs) (laughs) And um, because the idea here is that this shouldn't be the only study that's ever done with games industry data. Mm -hmm. Um, This this needs to be an ongoing, uh, credible process and so it would not literally have been possible for us to just roll up uh, uh, to, you know, the IBM cloud that Nintendo runs and just open up their system and figure out what the hell is going on um, under the hood. So, so we absolutely thank them for their, um, like, cooperation. Um, and, and, and I don't think that there's any way to, to get data without cooperation. It's just a matter of who sets the agenda and, um, and whether or not the results are credible. Can you talk a bit about how you used the survey to come up with a, a variable to describe people's mental health? You know, is it as simple as someone told you on the survey that they felt good and you go, yep, they feel good. Okay, that's good mental health. So um, psychologists think about mental health in a, in a pretty wide range of ways. You, you could think of it in terms of, um, are you feeling quote unquote normal? Mm-hmm. Or are you feeling like you could be classed by the, you know, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Illnesses? So do you have serious psychopathology? That's called negative, mm-hmm. negative mental health, uh, typically. And then there's a concept called well-being. And, and well-being is kind of like, do you feel regular to great? Uh, you have good days, you have bad days. Mm-hmm. And uh, a big part of that is, is what's called subjective well-being or, or emotional well-being. And you generally ask people, you know, something to the effect of, in the last two weeks, uh, uh, think of the following, you know, think of the following statements and, and rate how true they are of your experience. And so they're just a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, adjectives like mm-hmm. happy, sad, mad, depressed, things like that. And then from that, you create a score that's meant to reflect kind of on balance, how good do you feel? Um, and, and that's meant to be something that fluctuates over time when you have got good days and bad days. It, it says nothing about whether or not you're seriously depressed. And so with all of that data, what were the main findings? Well, the main findings are it, it, there's no excuse for, for games companies to withhold data from bona fide researchers and that's really the most important thing. I think a lot of work needs to be done to, to make sure that games are kind of research ready. Mm-hmm. In terms of correlations that we've you know derived, people are kind of bad at estimating their video game playtime. <laughs> so players tended to overestimate by about an hour a week how much they play and 
typically when you ask someone to estimate how much they're online or how much time they spend smoking or eating, uh, people are just rubbish at that. Um, <laughs> so, so we found that, yes, people are also rubbish at estimating how much time they spend playing games. We found a very small positive correlation between how much time people invested in these two games and their well-being, that this is absolutely not causal. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that this would be different for different games. But I think the kind of interesting thing, Alex, is that the correlation wasn't negative. <laughs> because I think that so much of the way that we discuss games in our society or television or any kind of leisure is that it's necessarily a waste of time. What are the implications of the findings and, and what do you want to see coming out of this? I want to see research on games be less reactive. When I grew up, everyone was afraid of Dungeons and Dragons mm -hmm. making kids satanic. And then when I started playing games like Perfect Dark or, or GoldenEye uh, for the Nintendo 64, everyone was, and Doom, people were all worried about uh, aggression. And now people are worried about addiction. And it's always worries mm -hmm. that guide research <laughs> and guide parliamentary inquiries and, and the like. I, I want people to be curious about, about play. I think that we can, if we have open data, we can understand uh, how to address the concerns of the World Health Organization around the idea that games might be addictive. Um, but I actually think that this was the easiest study possible that, that we could have done with the games industry. And it was really great that Nintendo of America and, and EA signed up because we were turned down uh, by a lot of other games companies that, that sat on the sidelines. But everything from this point on is going to be harder. I mean, we discovered a, a small, simple correlation some pretty obvious things like people are rubbish at estimating their screen time, mm -hmm. um, but very serious questions uh, about addiction and about mental health in a more serious way are outstanding. And unless the industry as a whole kind of pulls up their trousers and, and decides that they're going to get serious about open science, you know, this is, this is going to stand out as a single bright moment before a, a, a whole bunch of draconian regulations. Uh, and, and I really hope that we can we can take advantage of this. And, you know, if gaming companies are able to open the hood and let scientists under it, we might actually get better video games. Do you worry that if, if there is a, a specific question in this field that does start to demonstrate real problems or asking more specific mental health questions than just broad well-being, do you worry that that might lead to uh, this wonderful data source drying up as the companies start to get edgy about it? Yeah. Um, there was an expression during the Vietnam War, it's called the McNamara's fallacy, mm -hmm. which is uh, if you can't measure what's significant, you make what you can measure significant. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm concerned that if we explore a new kind of data to answer important questions, we will overinterpret the data that we can get mm -hmm. instead of advocating for the data that's most important. And so that's an example of, you know, something that can make gaming companies extremely shy mm -hmm. uh, in a way that, that would have them pull back. But I mean, I, this is tough because this is a funny industry. You know, this is an industry that started with arcade cabinets or, or playing cards if you go back to Nintendo far mm -hmm. enough. And, and I, I just see them being able to change, I guess. 
Like I, I, they've gone from, you know, they've gone from arcades to, to home consoles to, to, you know, tablets and, and phones to the cloud. Um, I, I find it really difficult to believe that the, even the most talented team of ill-meaning psychologists could find so many problems with human play that they wouldn't be able to just change the games. Well, lastly, I'd just like to ask, do you find playing video games good for your mental health? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I find video games, some of them, really enjoyable as a family activity. Um, so with my oldest, uh, uh, she's six. Mm-hmm. Uh, we play, uh, uh, we've been playing through Super Mario Odyssey, and she plays as Cap and I play as Mario. Um, and so it's really, it's just a really lovely social experience that uh, beats the hell out of Twitter for me. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And uh, I'll let you get back to playing more games with your family. <laughs> Thanks so much, Alex. Thanks again to Professor Andy Shabilsky. We'll be back with another Science Weekly soon. Look after yourselves. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.